0: Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry, the staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to pacocollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. probably all heard something along the lines of we don't choose what happens to us but we do choose our responses to those things. And that's what I want to talk about today because it's been made really obvious to me in the past few weeks by several different things um that this is really true and I've had some pretty terrible things happen to me personally. Um and so i'm not standing here saying that the victim of a trauma gets to choose to rise above that trauma that's not really what i'm sitting here saying i'm not really talking about those things instead today i'm talking about circumstances within dog training or dog management um, and how we may not choose what happens to us in those situations but we certainly do choose how we respond And something that I say often to my students is observe and respond, meaning there aren't a set, um, set of answers. There is not a pre-prescribed program for pretty much any behavior problem. We can follow the rules of operant conditioning. We can be smart about the laws of learning. And still, there are no guarantees and there are no scripts for us to follow. And so what I say all the time is observe and respond. And what I mean by that is observe your current program, observe current behaviors that are happening, and then respond accordingly. And this has to do with a couple of things. Number one, it has to do with Being a more keen observer of our dog's behavior, that's always something I'm encouraging people to be, and it's always something that I'm striving to be in my real life, but it also has to do with, you know, planning your responses and leaving your ego at the door and leaving yourself out of it because your dog's behavior is not a reflection of you as a person. Let me say that one more time. Your dog's behavior is not a reflection of you as a person. And your dog's behavior has nothing to do with your self-worth. You are worthy of being a human being on this earth, whether your dog has perfect behavior or not. And while your dog's behavior might be a reflection of your training and probably is a reflection of your training, plus the environment he lives in, plus the genetic cards he was dealt you also should not take on the dog's behavior as one of your personal flaws that needs to be worked on and i think that's something that um people think a lot Uh, they'll go to a seminar and they'll hear that they need to be more interesting than dirt or more interesting than grass or more interesting than everything else going on and they take that really personally and of course they do because guess what? Human beings can't be more interesting than the olfactory world that the dogs find themselves in. And so the fact that they play games with us at all is actually really incredible. And the fact that we motivate them to want our food and our toys above the olfactory world that they can explore is actually amazing. So just know that none of this is about you. It is about maybe your skills and your learning process. But those are things you have control over and those are things that you can work to improve if necessary so i'm going to go through a few scenarios in which i think that there was a different there was a set of choices available and the person involved chose right so the first one is that my friend and my assistant casey was competing at a regional this weekend this past weekend and her dog was running a course and towards the end of the course the dog in the neighboring ring left the course, jumped over the barrier between the two courses and this was not just small ring gating. This was like snow fencing with um, a dark cloth barrier and the dog jumped that and came running at her dog and she had choices. She could choose to yell, get really upset, go after the dog that jumped in the ring. But what she chose to do was turn towards her own dog, call him to her, because he was like in a tunnel doing his thing. She turned to him, alerted him that things were not as they should be, called him to her, and just took care of him while she allowed the owner to collect her dog and move on. And then after that, she took him for a nice walk. She offered him some decompression food puzzle activities and... And she concluded that he was okay and not affected by the experience and they did get a rerun and she ran her course as normal and he was perfectly fine. So because he was perfectly fine, it was perfectly fine for her to just continue on um, as normal as, as she was. And, you know, she could have been really angry in that moment, really upset in that moment. And I think a lot of us would have been, but she wasn't. And... I think that benefited her and it benefited her dog. And I think that's something that we can think about. So she couldn't choose whether or not the dog in the neighboring ring chose to leave its run to come after her dog. Um, But she could choose how she acted in that moment and in the moments following. And she did. And I think that she handled it with grace. And I think that, you know, it went better than it could have essentially. So that's just one situation that I know I have found myself in similar situations and I've seen similar situations and they've certainly been handled in a multitude of ways, but she handled it well and she decided to basically move on with her life after that. So, I mentioned this, um, in one of the previous episodes, but another example of this is that when I am bombarded with off-leash dogs on trails, I don't get mad anymore. I don't get upset. I don't go after the dogs. I don't go after the people. I take the precautions in that moment that I need to take to take care of my own dogs. And other than that, I don't worry about it. And I can't choose whether or not Joe Public lets his dog off-leash run up to my dogs on a trail. I can't choose that. What I can choose is how I act and how I respond. And the way that I choose to respond now is self-protective and dog-protective in the sense that I would like my mental health to not be affected by this. So I choose not to get mad about it. I choose to scatter treats protect my dog, um, block their oncoming dog if that dog seems to be a problem. I have grabbed other dogs by the collar and then shoved food in their face and just held on to them while their owner headed over to collect them. Um, I've done all of these things and I used to get really pissed off. I used to be so mad if an off-leash dog was bombarding my dogs and the person responsible for that dog could not do anything about it. I used to get so mad about it that it used to ruin my walks. It legitimately used to wreck an entire decompression walk for me. And so something that should be decompressing and for my mental health as well as my dogs was literally dependent on the choices made by the public. And that's not sustainable because I can't choose what they do so that's why now i choose to take a different route and if i'm walking a dog that might bite one of those other dogs i walk that dog in a basket muzzle and i continue to act the same way that i would if i didn't have a dog that would bite so another example is that i find all over the place on the internet in person on dog training lists professional dog planer dog I'm sorry dog trainers complaining about their clients and this is something that doesn't make total sense (laughs) because our clients are the ones that um, make it so that we can have this wonderful job of training dogs but I think it's kind of human nature and I think that you know us complaining about our clientele is is normal and kind of culturally perpetuated amongst dog trainers. But we have a choice here. We may not have a choice about who calls us to, um, to solicit our services. We may not have a choice about who picks up the phone or writes us an email to ask us for help. But we do have a choice about how we respond. And the number one way we can respond is we can stop taking clients that don't fit into our professional model so we can decide that we are not going to take clients that hurt our mental health or maybe hurt our business um so we can choose to walk away from that and the other thing that we can choose and i did this a really long time ago i was working very very long hours um 13 plus hours a day was pretty normal for me six days a week And a lot of that was working with clients and their dogs. And I made this choice a very long time ago to focus on service and to think instead of why won't this person go away? Why does this person have the problem that they have? Why is this person asking for my help to think instead, how can I serve this person? How can I actually help this person in this situation? And so, again, I can't choose who finds my business card and finds my services, but I can choose who I take on as a client and how I address that problem. So instead of complaining about those clients, I can choose to focus on serving them better. And... The other just really interesting caveat to that is that I was at, um, a seminar, a Gene Donaldson, sorry, Gene Donaldson seminar a long time ago, probably 10 years ago, um, 10 or 12 years ago. And somebody asked a question along these lines and they said, you know, how do you deal with these people who, you know, they bought this dog they wanted it to be a house ornament it's actually a real dog they actually need to do some training and some exercise and some enrichment and how do you even tolerate these people and Jean had a really beautiful response in that she said you know that a therapist of hers had had a really great answer to this because Jean was sitting in a therapist office as many of us are and as everybody should Highly, highly recommend therapy. I know that's a tangent, but I could go on. Anyway, Jean was sitting in a therapist's office. And she said to her therapist, how do you do it? How do you deal with these people day in and day out? And the therapist looked her in the eye and said, I like my clients. And that really hit home for her and it hits home for me. And if I don't like my clients, I can't actually help them. And so, again here, I've got a choice. I Don't have a choice about who I like necessarily, but I do have a choice about how I treat the people that show up. And if I think that a person and myself are not gonna jive, I can send them elsewhere. And instead, what I do is I take on clients who I find common ground with, and we can work together and we can like each other and we can really get to a really fantastic point B from the point A that they're standing at when they call me. And that's a choice that I get to make. So just another kind of interesting one is that sometimes when you walk by the line of crates at a show, you'll have dogs. and lunge at you and your dog as you walk by in their crate. I think we've all experienced that. And we don't have a choice about where people crate their dogs in a trial. We don't have a choice about how people manage that behavior, but we do have a choice about how we act. And my dog, Kelso, who's been gone for three years, uh, just over three years, he's my first performance dog. And he was really afraid of other dogs and so when I would walk him down an aisle of crates and another dog would bark and lunge inside the crate that would really scare him and so my immediate response at the time was to yell at that dog and I even remember smacking the top of crates a couple of times which is something that if I somebody saw somebody doing to my own dog I'd get really upset today but at the time that's all I knew to do. And it was very much an emotional response of, hey, you know, you leave my dog alone. We're just trying to walk down this aisle and you scared him. And, you know, fear is the first step towards violence. Anybody who is violent is afraid. Um, And so as I'm walking down this corridor, the dog barks and lunges. I get afraid and upset. I smack that crate or yell at that dog. And I successfully conditioned Kelso to be afraid of walking by crates and it took me a long time to realize that he wasn't actually afraid of the dogs in the crates he was afraid of me he was afraid of my response to those dogs and so now when I walk past a crate that explodes barking I turn to my dogs and I throw food I turn to my dog that I'm walking with and I scatter food. And they eat the food and then we move on. And this is a learned response. This is a trained response in me because my instinctual response is to turn around and tell that dog to shut up as I think it is for many of us. And so instead I turn around and I throw food and my dogs are not worried about walking in front of crates. And Kelsa was. And so what's interesting about that is looking at it, saying, I don't have a choice about what people's dogs will do in crates. And I don't have a choice about, um, really even my dog's feelings about that. But what I do have a choice about is my response. And my dogs are so much happier about it now. I mean, my dogs are fine walking down a corridor of crates, and that could be a really scary thing. (laughs) Um potentially morbid, um, analogy that I think of, (laughs) I think of Clarice and the Silence of the Lambs walking down the, um, prison hallway. And I think of that almost every time I walk my dog down a line of grace with dogs barking and lunging. And the difference is that I'm there, To throw food and make this a positive experience for my dogs and so they don't have to be her they don't have to be afraid it doesn't have to be a scary thing (laughs) um so if you don't understand that reference that's fine i do highly recommend watching that movie however so another thing that happened to me recently i was at a dog show um and a civilian a member of the general public walked into the show God forbid, um, with her three-ish, maybe four-month-old German Shepherd puppy, I think probably closer to three months, on a big fat prong collar. Big, huge prong collar on this puppy. And I saw it, and again, I have a choice, and I moved about my business. And some people approached me and said, aren't prong collars illegal illegal at AKC? I don't know why they're asking me, but they were, and I said, yeah, they are. Um... And some more people approached me, you know, they just, they wanted to connect over the fact that they were mad that this puppy's in a prong collar. And the fact of the matter is that I wasn't mad that the puppy was in a prong collar. I was sad, maybe, for that little baby puppy who doesn't need to be in a prong collar. Um, and I could see that some behavior problems could definitely develop from this because every single time the puppy went to visit a person or a dog, Their neck hit that prong collar and they received a pretty good correction. And I can see the damage long-term that that does. And I've had that client before who absolutely put their dog through that situation, developed some pretty serious problems. But I have a choice about how I respond in that moment. And I chose to see the good, which was a member of of the general public doing their best to socialize a puppy, doing their best to get their puppy out around a lot of people and a lot of other dogs. And the big prong collar is not something that I like to see on any dog, but it indicates to me too that this is probably a person who will seek out a trainer if the puppy does develop severe problems. And You know, I can hear people saying, yeah, but what kind of trainer? And I'm going to say that while I'd prefer they seek out a positive reinforcement based trainer, they may not. But the dog's still probably not going to get put in a shelter and euthanized because this person cares. And so I chose not to be upset about it. And I could have chosen to be upset about it and I could have chosen to report them. Um, and get them kicked out because of their prong collar. I could have chosen to walk up to them and inform them of the rules that they couldn't have their prong collar at an AKC show. Um, I could have chosen any one of those things, but it would have added stress to the moment for me. And it also would have taught that person that dog shows, agility trials are not safe. It would have taught that person that these agility people are rude and mean. And... I don't want them to think that either because I want them to feel safe seeking out information. I happen to be at a facility that's also a dog training facility, which is a great facility for that person to seek out help from if they do develop issues. I didn't want that person to have a negative experience in association with that facility at all. So I didn't say anything. I moved on with my life and I didn't engage in a lot of negative self-talk about the puppy and or talk with other people about the puppy in a prong collar. And this improved my day and I think also allowed that person to just kind of fly under the radar a little bit more. Nobody reported her. She walked around with her puppy and then she left and hopefully she saw some good dog training happening. Um, Puppy seemed totally fine the whole time, by the way, and... I think it's okay and so this kind of comes down to my final point which is we need to draw boundaries early we need to decide when it is that we will speak up and when it is that we won't Um, it creates stress for me to engage in a conflict so if I need to approach a person and say hey what you're doing is not cool that has a negative effect on me personally And so I'm only going to do it if I see clear benefit from it. I'm also only going to do it if I see clear benefit for that person from it. So the woman with the puppy in the prong collar would not have benefited at all, especially from me saying to her that it was against the rules for her to have her dog on that collar. She may have benefited from me saying, hey, you know, What classes are you in? Did you know there's classes here? That kind of thing. But again, I don't teach at that facility. Not my place, not my responsibility. And what was easiest for my mental health was to see the puppy in the prong collar, see that he really wasn't suffering and he was doing okay, and move on with my life. Other times when I have spoken up, um, I saw a woman leave an agility run once, drag her dog back to her tent, and straight up smack her dog repeatedly over the head. Um, she was really upset about the run and she felt the dog needed a correction. And so she hit the dog repeatedly over the head, and I said something. And a friend of mine was there too, and we approached the trial chair, and you know, we, yeah, we made that a thing. And that was stressful for me, but it was also necessary because. That was a person who should know better, quote unquote, should know better doing something that I deemed clearly abusive to that dog. And we spoke up and I feel good about that to this day. And I don't think that woman overall changed her training philosophy, but what's interesting that happened is that she did have to have a conversation with the AKC rep who was there that day. um, And she straight up asked you know, well, what's the difference between abuse and a correction? Because in my mind, that was a correction and not abuse. And so that started a very real conversation and hopefully a very real thought process in that woman's head about what she was doing. And so, you know, that's what I can hope for going forward is that she thought about that. I have also said to other people at agility trials to take it easy on their dogs. This is hard on me every time, but I do it when I think the dog is suffering and I think the person has no idea that what they're doing is not acceptable and what they're doing is unacceptable. I think hitting your dog repeatedly over the head, is unacceptable on a very different level from, you know, Joe Public putting their puppy in a prong collar. So those are the times that I've said something. And I think it's important for us all to have kind of those boundaries drawn early and to decide where we're going to get involved and where we're not. And what we need to take into account there is what we do um, and how that affects us as well as whether or not our intervention will actually potentially have the future effect or not. Um, If our intervention is just going to produce more conflict for us and that person is probably going to do nothing. If my intervention is actually going to cause harm, like I think it would have with the woman who had the puppy in the prong collar Um, then I'm not going to do it. If I think my intervention is going to make somebody question or second guess their actions that need to be questioned, then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to speak up. Um, I think people, you know, they feel like we've got to speak up every single time we see anything that we don't think is okay. And I commend that. And I say, go for it. For me personally, I can't because it causes me so much distress. So I speak up if I think it's going to make a difference. And I speak up if I think what I'm seeing is unacceptable or abusive. And those are the times that I speak up. And otherwise I choose to respond based on my observations. And I, for the most part, try to take care of me and my own in that situation. And to totally switch gears here, I'm going to talk a little bit about my current online course at Fenzie Dog Sports Academy. It's called Fix It, Effective Behavior Change. Uh, this podcast is going to come out on Tuesday, June 11th, uh, June 12th, and the course closes for registration on Friday, June four- 15th. So when you hear this, it will still be open. And at this recording, there are still working silver spots available. Working silver teams get to post two videos and ask unlimited questions. So it's just a step below a gold level um, or working level uh, membership. And of course, bronze or the auditing level is unlimited. And in Fixit, we're going through how to actually effectively change dog behavior. So if you've got a behavior problem that is looming over you, ruining your life, you wanna get in there, you want to learn how you can actually change things because you don't have to live that way. Or if you're a professional trainer and you wanna get a better grip on behavior cases, this is a good course to have in your back pocket. I've worked my butt off on this course. It is, it's a good one. It's got some good video lots of lecture, it's one of my more dense courses, and I'm really proud of it. So hop over to fenzydogsportsacademy.com, and you can click schedule, and then click um, on my class, Fix It, Effective Behavior Change, which is under School of Behavior, and then you can register there, and I hope to see you there. Hop over on the Facebook page and talk about a time that you chose your response even though you couldn't choose what was happening in front of you and I look forward to those comments. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.